So today I have the awesome privilege of ending our Matthew series. Uh, we've been at this series for six weeks today. Can you believe it? And you haven't gotten tired of it. You look like you still would want us to continue some more of Matthew. But I was thinking, because I'm ending it, um, you know when you, you, we've gotten so familiar with the book of Matthew itself and the character of Matthew, the narratives in the book of Matthew, uh, the teaching that we've received over the six, well, the five weeks and six weeks today. I just thought in our relational dynamics, when you get so familiar with a person, you kind of, you give them a nickname, you know? Uh, I heard some people who have known Pascal for a long time, they call her K. I don't know why K, because her name starts with a C, but anyway. Uh, do they call you C now? Okay, they call her C. <laughs> don't call her C, okay? You're not familiar with her. But, but people who are familiar with other people, they would, they would call them by their nicknames. So I, I thought, because Brian is my friend and, and, and he's Indian, <laughs> If, 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 if Matthew was living somewhere in Phoenix, in Durban, they, they probably, I think, they probably would call him maybe Makesh Maharaj or something. <laughs> and I thought of some Nigerian brothers. I thought, what nickname should we give Matthew that we've gotten to know over the five weeks? I thought maybe we should call him Matthew, Matthew. <laughs> I think Matthew, Matthew would be nice. How about Matthew? How many agree with Matthew? Matthew. <laughs> okay. I was, I, I've, I have some friends from the Republic of Boxburg who, <laughs> who told me that the, the right name, uh, no, 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 it's not Mattel apparently. <laughs> apparently it's Matthias. Ah, so, but that is if you are from the Republic of Boxburg. If you are from the Republic of Cape Town, they call them Mathieu, apparently. And so it's a different spelling of Matthew from the Captonians to the Republic of Boxburg. And then I thought, well, if you are from Kwamashu in the Kezeden, <laughs> you probably would call them Mateo. How many would go for Mateo? What, what, are you still deciding on what name we should give Matthew. But if you're a Joburg Zulu, this is what Joburg Zulus do. They don't know names of people. All they do, they just add a U at the beginning of everything. So if your name is Mike, they just call you Umike. <laughs> if your name is Matthew, they just call you Umatthew. So for the Joburg Zulus, we'll call him Umatthew today. Umatthew, Umatthew. Or we'll just stay with his English name, Matthew, because we're a multicultural church. And let's just, like, let's just call him Matthew. How about we call him Matthew today? So, anyway, so today is uh, our last series of our brother Matthew, and we'll call him Matthew. And so I was thinking my topic for today is going to be, can we trust God? Is the question. Now, I don't know if you've ever... Ask yourself that question. Can I trust God? Before I answer from scripture, I want to share from my personal experience, and I assume I'm speaking for most of us here, just in our normal lives, in whether it's relationships, whether it's your relationship with a brand, your relationship with a person, what makes you trust that person? 
makes you trust a, a car brand, for instance, if you safe? Uh, at one point, my wife was driving a Ford Figo, and someone uh, at her workplace said to her, are you, are you safe in that car even? She said, what do you mean I've been driving this car for six years? I'm safe. It's like, oh, well, I don't know. What brand is it? It's a Ford, like Ford, Ford. It's like, oh, okay, maybe we should get another car. Then she came home. We had a discussion to get another car. From that moment onward, we never stopped having that discussion. <laughs> Until we got another car. But anyway, what makes you trust a brand or a person? I thought for me, one is commitment. If I see a person is so committed to my well-being, if I see that they can go out of their way to bless me or to help me, support me, or assist me, if I can tell that this person is so committed to me, that can inspire my trust. When I know that, hey, my name is safe on their lips, that in my absence, the things they say about me are good things. When I know this person is committed to me, I can trust that person. And the second thing that makes me trust a person or a brand is their consistency. If this person is just committed when things are convenient, then I can question how much trust I should give them. But when this person is consistently committed to me, day in, day out, that makes me trust them. I, I don't know if you've ever traveled, I would assume it would be the same for parents, but if you've ever traveled with a partner, your spouse, and you booked for a lodge or a hotel somewhere, and you get there, she or he doesn't like that room that you picked. Maybe they wanted to see if you or you took something else. The whole time, really, your experience in that place is going to be very horrible, at least in my experience. Because you'll be reminded all the time of the room that you're in, even if the food is so good, you know, and the price also was so good. But you'll always be reminded <laughs> that, that this room, you know, could have been, this room is bigger than the CV room, but I know, but that CV room would have been better. And so, one time we, we went to the south coast of, of the Kesedin, my wife, and I, and I had booked for that place. It was last minute December booking. So booked for that place. That place looked like it was literally at the beach. You can literally walk beyond, the, beyond your room to going to the beach. So I thought, this place really looks cool. The price looks even more cool. I mean, this is the best place for us. Didn't read up any reviews on them. I just thought, these pictures look amazing. And especially that you can just walk to the beach. So I said, fine, book that place. We got to that place. Literally, as we opened the doors, geckos were fighting, like running around the room. Now, my wife is very afraid of insects. So already she couldn't even go into the room. And this was late at night because we drove from Joburg to the south coast. And... Uh, you know, you, you obviously, all husbands want to look good to their wives. You want to make sure that you knew what you were doing. <laughs> you know, you don't want to be called like, oh, didn't you think? Could you, couldn't you read up on something? So I said, babes, I, this place looked really, really nice. 
but, but it's not nice right now. And we didn't have a good experience at all. In fact, we only went back to that place just to sleep for the night. We couldn't stay there. I mean, the room was not good. The bed had sand on it like for days. From <laughs> it was just not good. Uh, I've always been reminded now and again of that experience, but I've been forgiven. And so I've learned to look for consistency in service. And when I'm booking for a holiday, like if I want to go on holiday now, what I would do is I would go online and read up, even if I know this hotel is a good place. I just want to hear how consistent they are in providing good services. I want to hear, are these people doing good stuff all the time? Obviously, there is no perfect place. But what I want to see is how many people out of 100 or out of 10 are saying good things about this place because I'm looking for consistency. Consistency. I was thinking as I was sitting down that when you want to buy washing powder in Zambia, literally, whether they're looking for a different brand, they just say, go buy surf. Your mom means go buy Omo or something else, but they just call it that. Or if they're looking for a butter or margarine brand, they just call it Rama. Just, just go buy Rama. Or if they want to buy toothpaste, we just say Colgate. Just, ah, just buy Colgate. We've just added those new words in our English dictionary just so that we can get along together. But, but what's so special about these things is because they've been so consistent over time. Again and again, they're doing well. And we know we can trust them because of their consistency. And so I'm looking for consistency. Even when I want to trust God, I'm looking, is God consistent in his ways? And so the last thing before we read the scripture that I look for when I want to trust someone or something is their competence. Uh, that your commitment, your consistency are great, but I need to know, do you have the ability and the capabilities to do what you promise to do? You, you can't tell me that, you are unemployed, and I respect your faith, but you can't tell me that you are unemployed and you want to buy me a five million house. I'm not going to trust you. You want to buy me, not yourself. If you have faith to believe your God, maybe believe you with your God. I want to know, does this person have the means to fulfill the promise that they're giving me, or are they just saying something to me? I want you to know, do they have the capabilities? If God says that he's a God of miracles, does God have the power to perform the miracles that he says he's able to do in my life? I'm looking for competency. Do they have what it takes to do what they promise? And so these things, I think there are multiple other things that inspire trust. But for me, these three things must be present before I can trust someone or something. Amen. And so we're going to read uh, in the book of Matthew. Now, there are two uh, stories. Well, one story, but we're going to read it in two books. It's like a doctor and a lawyer writing the same thing. Okay. Um, one just prolongs things like lawyers do. They, they want to say, I'll come tomorrow. Before they say that, they say, hearing, there to, wherefore, I'll come tomorrow. Like, just say, I'll come tomorrow. Just like, just say one word, I'll come tomorrow. And doctors would just say, I'll come tomorrow, but it will take you days to read and you're late for the meeting. 
And so, we're going to read from the book of Matthew, and then we'll read from Luke, the same story. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Then he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. He called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. So same story in Luke. So it was as the multitude pressed about Jesus to hear the word of God that he stood by the lake of Gennesaret and saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. And then he got into one of the boats, which was Simon's, and asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the multitude from the boat. When he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, launch out into the deep and let down your net for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toyed all night and caught nothing. Nevertheless, at your word, I will let down the net. And when they had done this, they caught a great number of fish. Okay, that's the song we're singing today in the service. And their net was breaking. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boat, sorry, filled both the boats. Uh, so that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' feet saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Powerful story. Two characters have been highlighted and multiple names have been mentioned, but the focus is mainly on two people, on Jesus and on Peter. Peter, on one hand, has been working the whole night trying to catch fish, trying to be productive in his work. On another hand, Jesus Christ has been going about his father's work and the people have been praising on him and wanting to hear him preach to them. But Peter is tired because his work shift has come to an end. Jesus has more energy because his work shift has just begun because it's in the morning. Peter wants to go home and just rest for a moment because he's been working so hard all night. Jesus wants to start his work because he's been sleeping perhaps all night. And then he asks Peter for something. He says, Peter, can I please use your boat so that I can preach the gospel to these people? And so Peter had to wait for Jesus to finish preaching before he could go home. If that was me, perhaps the response would be so obvious. Jesus, can, can you not see that we are fishermen and we have been doing this? We want to go home and rest. Why are you inconveniencing us so that we can give you our space for you to preach the gospel? But Peter didn't say that. Peter allowed Jesus to use his boat and begin to preach the gospel. I've always imagined when 
when Jesus is sitting in the boat and is preaching, where was Peter and the rest of the disciples? My assumption is probably they were just sitting next to Jesus or somewhere around where Jesus was preaching. In the moment of hopelessness, in the moment where they've done everything that they could do in their human and natural effort and they've come to a dead end. In fact, I thought of adding a day or, or a word, since we are adding words to the dictionary, that we, we add this word, the night of Peter, as an expression to describe lack of productivity after you've done everything you know how to do. The night of Peter. Like where you have networked with the right people for that job. Where you've gotten to know the people that you should know to get that contract. Where you've done everything that you know how to do. And only to realize that the whole night you have caught nothing. Nothing. Not even a small fish lunch with your kids but you have done everything and peter peter was a fisherman he knew how to do this thing probably they they may have come up with stories on how to you know push the fish towards their nets and they they did all these exercises that perhaps they knew how to do but yet they caught nothing what do you do when you experience in your life the night of peter not because you are lazy no, because you have worked so hard, but yet you have not arrived at anything. Not because you didn't know the right people, not because you don't have the right qualification, not because you, you're not a hard worker, no, just because nothing has been caught after having done everything that you know in your natural strength. And Jesus comes to Peter in that moment and asks Peter, for him to use the boat. Sometimes in scripture. And this might not be theologically. Or theological precedence. But there are times in scripture. Where almost the reverse of what you are going through. Is what God is requiring of you. Like you are so broke. And you have no money. And Jesus says. Give what you have. Like Jesus, you know that this widow only has a meal to last her for a day. And she's going to die after that. And you are saying, give me what you are left with so that you can live. And Peter is being asked for something, perhaps. Maybe Jesus could have said, Peter, why don't you just pack up your bags, go and rest, I will provide for you. But Jesus says, no, give me your boat. And so Jesus takes the boat and he begins to preach the gospel. The beautiful part of the story is that the writer of both Matthew and Luke of this story shifts the attention from the message to Jesus himself, the messenger. He begins now to paint the character of this person, Jesus, in this story. And what is Jesus doing? Jesus takes the boat and he begins to preach. 
we don't have the content of his preaching, but from the messages of scripture, we can deduce and come to a conclusion of perhaps what Jesus was preaching. But maybe Jesus was preaching about his commitment to humanity. Maybe he was saying that for the Father so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son to come and die for the whole humanity. That's how committed he is to your well-being. Maybe continue talking about his commitment to humanity. He says, hey, listen, my body is going to be broken for your sin and for your brokenness so that you don't have to live another day broken. That's how committed I am to your life. And Peter is sitting there and he's listening to Jesus teaching this message to the crowd. He's not the primary audience. The primary audience is the crowd. But whilst he's listening, I believe his faith is building up. Whilst he's listening to the teaching of Jesus to the crowd, the other audience, his faith is beginning to arise and he's beginning to feel a hope arising again when Jesus moves to talking about his consistency. Scriptures like, I'm not a man that I should lie, nor a son of man that I should change my mind. Have I not said it and will I not fulfill it? That he begins to understand the consistency of God. That if God has promised you something, even if you've had the night of Peter, that is not the end of it. And so Peter is probably just sitting there and he's listening to what Jesus is teaching. Not primarily to him, but to the crowd. And he's listening as a secondary audience member. He's just there listening to Jesus, waiting for Jesus to finish so that he can take his boat and go home. Maybe Jesus moves to describing the competencies of the Father. The abilities of God to save humanity. Talks about how God is El Shaddai. That he is the mighty one. He is the one that holds the waters with his word. He is the one that speaks to the boundaries of seas to be respected by the water. By the power of his word. He's the one that heals diseases and sicknesses by the power of his word. And so Peter is listening to the competencies of God. And he's just sitting there in his hopeless chair. Because he had worked the whole night and he had caught nothing. And he's listening to Jesus preaching. And Jesus is preaching to the crowd. And when Jesus finishes, he turns to Peter. And says to him, Peter, cast your net into the deep. Peter's response says to us that at first he didn't believe that that would happen. Because he, you know when you've been disappointed so many times in life? You resolve to not hope too much for fear of being disappointed further. Because the pain of disappointment is more than not even having the thing that you want. It's like it becomes double pain because I don't have what I want. When I, my hope is too high, I don't get what I want. It's like I'm disappointed twice. I would rather not hope than hope and experience pain. So I would rather remain hopeless. At least I know that I'm hopeless. And so Peter looks to Jesus and says, Dude, this is the Mike's version. 
you're a teacher. I'm a fisherman. We've done this the whole night. Which part of it don't you understand? The whole night. You are telling me to do this for once. I've done this ten times more than once. But then he says to Jesus, but by your word, I will do it. He shifts his trust from his own abilities into the word of God. He says, I understand that I have tried this. Not because I haven't tried. My own strength have not been able to acquire for me the things that I've wanted. But I understand that I've been listening to your word. That your word has the power to give me the things that my own hands cannot acquire for me. And so he says, but by your word, I'll cast out the net into the deep. And then he cast out the net into the deep. The Bible says they caught a great number of fish to the point that their net began to break and their boats began to sink. I want to conclude quickly with these three points before, instead of continuing the story. The lessons we can quickly learn from the life of Peter in this story to trust God. The end of your efforts is not the end of you. The end of your efforts is not the end of you. There's still life beyond your strength. In fact, the Bible says, let the weak say, I'm strong. And so your weakness is not necessarily an indication of the things that you are capable of achieving. Because there's a God who calls you to say, I'm strong even when I feel weak. And so the end of your efforts is not the end of you. There's nothing Jesus cannot do to reach you. Peter gives Jesus the board. And I'm thinking, what a place to preach at. You are standing in the board, but because of the love that compelled him for humanity, he could use any platform, any place to be able to reach out to humanity. I don't know where you are. If Jesus could get into a boat to reach a people that was lost, I don't think you are far from God's reach. I don't think the mistakes that you have made out, uh, what would outweigh the grace of God that is provided for you. That there is no, there's no length, there's no uh, shadow. There we go, shadow, you won't light up. There's, there's nothing that Jesus cannot do to reach you where you're at. Whether you're addicted to something that you don't know how to get out of it. There's nothing Jesus cannot do to get to where you are. And my last point is this one. Always trust God to provide for you beyond what your efforts can afford. The question I was asking myself when I, after seeing the great number of fish that Peter and his companion had caught, because their net began to break and their boats began to sink. What if the reason why they didn't catch anything the whole night 
was because their expectation of their catch was way below the provision of God. And that, and that if they had caught the fish, they may not have had the means to keep the fish because the great catch that was reserved for their lives was greater than their expectation. Because they had to call other people in other boats to come and help them. In other words, the systems and things that they had in place for their catch was for a small catch. But what God had in mind to give them was beyond anything they could dream, think, or imagine. And here's my challenge. Always trust God to provide beyond what your efforts can afford. That prepares your heart to not call Jesus a ghost when you see him coming and walking on water. That you say, well, I know this is Jesus. He's not a ghost because I know his love for me that he can walk on water to come to where I am and rescue me. Always trust God to provide beyond. And so in conclusion, this is how I conclude. I can trust God because he's committed to my salvation and my well-being. He's consistent in his love towards me and he's competent and able to save. Please rise with me. Mm. As we have come to the end of our service, I'm inviting you to a place of surrender. A place where you realize that surrendering to God does not mean you become lazy or you don't work hard. It just it means I realize that I, however hard I work, I work rather, I would not be able to get what I need. And I need to partner with Jesus Christ by surrendering my life to Him so that with Him I can go beyond. And I'm inviting you in that place. If there's a place in your heart where you know that you have been trying to do things in your own strength, I'm inviting you in a place of trust. Trusting God because He is committed he is consistent and he is competent. So Father, I pray in Jesus' name. I pray for grace to do this. The grace to trust you, the grace to trust you with our lives, with our jobs, businesses, work, families, children, marriages, relationships. Just give us the grace, Lord, we pray to trust you. In Jesus' name. Come on, family. Let's give the Lord a round of applause. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Awesome, family. We've come to the end of the service.